Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, coming to you from the 2023 Moon Tower Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. My sometime co-hosts, Miss Purrington and Mookie, are resting at home. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. In addition to podcasts, we bring you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, a festivals page, and FPIA page where you can see the history of the contest. And you'll find all of the best comedy shows on our events pages for Austin, Houston, and DFW. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, click Submit a Show at the top of our homepage to complete the short survey. Tag us on your Instagram stories, and we'll share your show promo. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook at Comedy Wham. Looking for ways to support all these resources that we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Search for Comedy Wham on Patreon and check out our subscriber perks. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the comedy scene as fascinating offstage as it is on stage. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, we are recording live on location at the Driscoll Hotel. Uh, she was a competitive swimmer, and this is the funny thing, shit you not, I just attended my son's swim meet. So we may be talking about strokes, snacking, tech suits, and whatever. Heck yeah. <laughs> Our sons, as it turns out, are the same age, so we might also be talking about how teenage boys are frightful. <laughs> uh, we both lost our dads around the same time, but she took the experience and created one of Vulture's top 10 comedy specials of 2016, and it's called 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad. Her live tweeting of the experience of losing her mom to COVID during the height of COVID was incredibly heartbreaking to follow, but also at the same turn offered levity during an incredibly difficult time uh, in our collective history. She just recorded a new special to add to her collection of previous specials, Corset, Five Minutes to Myself, or that's Corset and Five <laughs> Minutes to Myself. Uh, the title of her books tell you a lot about the type of comic she is. Number one, Shitty Mom, The Parenting Guide for the Rest of Us, and number two, Dead People Suck. Uh, she was a finalist on Last Comic Standing in 2017 told you this was going to be really long. <laughs> she is a co-host with another brilliant comic on the long-running podcast, The Jackie and Lori Show, where they dish about the comedy business and one of my favorite things, they name a comic of the week to give props to a rising comic that they've encountered while performing around the country. And now, finally, after this introduction, Comedy Land presents Lori Kilmartin. Hi. 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 Wow. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, so I'm going to show you... Uh, this isn't video recorded, but this is my son's uh, meat slips that I prepare. Oh, neat. Uh, and he just got double A times in oh the 400 gosh. IM. And he got an A time in the 100 breast this morning. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. 100 breast, 400 IM, 200 free, 100 fly later today or uh, tomorrow? Tomorrow. Yeah. Awesome. So <laughs> does he swim on a USS team? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what that means. He, like a club team? Or yes, is a he's, high on a, he's on a okay. club team and a high school okay, team. Okay, cool, cool. As well, yeah. Right on. This is club and long course just started, so. I just uh, got a text with times. <laughs> um, hold on. <laughs> uh, this was the thing I was most looking forward to about talking with you, Lori. <laughs> so, here we go. Um, 
at 206 on his 200 free and at 24 on his uh, 50 free. Oh. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So is your son swimming also? He or is. This? He has a meet oh. today. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. We're both missing our son's meet. That's so cr- No, I went to mine. Mine was, oh. luckily, it's down. Every year, This they have this meet at UT at the same weekend as Moon Tower. Oh. And sometimes it's in the afternoon, but this year it's in the morning, so I was able to, to go and That's watch it. That's such a great pool. I've it's swum a, in that pool. Yeah, yeah, it is a great pool. Yeah. I, I went to UT, and I wasn't a competitive swimmer, but I took swimming classes because oh, I neat. wanted to swim in that swimming pool yeah (laughs) that's cool and so your son is he he seems like really into swimming then he's really into swimming so much so that he we have an opportunity to go to toronto for a a work meeting of mine but there's a he's really into transformers Mm -hmm. and there's a transformers convention in toronto at the same time Mm. he has said we're not going to toronto because i want to go to stags which is the South, uh, South Texas age group series championship, whatever. Okay. And wow. those times, you know, he's eligible to go. So I'm like, really? Because <laughs> unlike you, I don't think he's going to, you know, be a, a, a swimmer at UCLA. I don't think my kid will. My son doesn't like swimming. Mm. He likes water polo. He loves water polo. Ah. And he's a goalie. And uh, most people hate being goalies. So he's. He's like taken a, a rare position, so oh. I think he might, maybe he could get some college interest, yeah. but I, I don't really know, because yeah. uh, I don't know water polo, yeah. um, and he only swims because his water polo team swims as well. It's yeah. like what they all do, grudgingly, <laughs> although some of, some of them prefer lap swimming, but yeah. he actually loves water polo, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So what was your favorite, and what was your strongest? Uh, breaststroke, 200 okay. breaststroke. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he dropped so much time on that stroke in particular since the last time he swam long course. That's that, great. Like I've told you, oh, that, those are long course breast, times. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I I've told him between the breast and the fly and the IM events, those are your strengths. Yeah, <laughs> and they're the hard ones. People don't necessarily like those. No, uh, uh-uh. uh. I mean, yeah, IM's a beast, man. Yeah. You know, you yeah. you, you have four different races basically. Right. You know, right. in, inside one race. Yeah, yeah. that's really yeah. cool. 400 a.m. is hard. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thank you for humoring me. Yeah, please. <laughs> on that, we uh, maybe we'll get on the Radar Swimming yeah, Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually have an official icebreaker question, mm-hmm. and that is, tell me one word to describe your past. Uh, boring, I think. Really? I'm not, I'm not really, I don't have a wild past huh. or checkered or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have, I don't have like Dean Del Rey stories about, <laughs> <laughs> you know, life on the road. As yeah. a female comic, you kind of just go back to your room and try not to get assaulted. Yeah. So it's a very, after a while, it just becomes a very different life. The, the male comics have very different stories to yeah. tell than the female comics yeah. do. Most of us. Yeah. How did you get your start in wanting to do comedy? Oh, uh, I just, um, I uh, started seeing stand-up in San Francisco, and um, I was sort of lost, you know, mm-hmm. at, at that time of my life, and I thought, oh, I thought it was really cool, and then I saw a stand-up who I thought was bad, and they were working, and I'm like, oh, I could be better than that person. Oh. And so that's kind of what motivated me to try it, or yeah. I, I took some stand-up classes and stuff, uh, was that somebody wasn't good, not that somebody was good. Because yeah. good stand-ups are, like, 
you're just watching, you go, how did they do that? Like, you can't mm-hmm. imagine doing that. But bad, bad stand-ups, you're like, I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're, well, with as often as I've seen comedy, you, you do pick up on those, okay, that's, that's a newbie joke. That's, oh, that yeah, has not right, been right, right. On. Yeah, that, yeah. That has potential, maybe, or I've heard a variation of this a million times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you started in San Francisco? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And what was the scene like when you, you started? Because San Francisco is a pretty strong, like, multi-dimensional scene with improv it was great. and sketch. And yeah, I wasn't really into the improv and sketch part, although that was pretty, um, there were, it was prominent as well, but I was only into stand-up. Yeah. So it was like the Holy City Zoo was sort of the... Um, the small club in the city that everyone loved and went to. It was kind of, it, it, it would, its closest kin would be the Velveeta Room, um, but it was much darker, <laughs> like tonally, and maybe Esther's Follies like lifts the spirit of the Velveeta Room to a different place, being next door. The drum and bass that comes through. Yeah, the Holy City Zoo had this darkness and this dankness that um, was really but I mean, we loved it. It felt like San Francisco. It felt like fog rolling in. You know, it was out in the, you know, near the sunset and stuff. So, um, and then the Punchline and Cobbs were the other clubs in the city. And then uh, when you fan out into the suburbs, to the East Bay, to Sacramento, to the South Bay, there's there were tons of clubs to work when I was starting, especially. Yeah. So you you start in San Francisco, and when do you start feeling like you're getting momentum as a stand-up? Um, I never, let's see, I never, I always felt like I wasn't getting momentum and that's why I would leave places. Like I I moved to New York, I I ended up getting new faces for Just for Laughs and um, after that I I was like, I don't think I can live in the Bay Area anymore, I'm supposed to like move someplace after you get JFL. So I moved to New York, and then then that really changed my whole style of comedy, and um, uh, you know, it's such a different audience to perform for. I, up till then, I'm performing on the road in front of basically suburban audiences, and mostly people that were older than me, and like married and out for the night or on dates, right? And I was like in my 20s, and so I was like the young. I was the young comic and the audience was older and then then when you hit your 30s like you're kind of the same age and then well this is a separate discussion but then like now I'm like always older than the audience and I'm not I'm still not used to this but oh well but New York audiences are obviously way more diverse their lives are diverse you know you know I guess racially diverse too but their lives are diverse you know it wasn't everyone wasn't from a suburb like a house you know people had apartments people came in from Westchester people were tourists from the Netherlands like it was just like this every audience was a mix of people that had very different lives and so you couldn't assume like I think a lot of at least when I moved there and I had done a ton of road rooms like I knew the references that everybody had and you couldn't assume that everyone had all those references you know in in a New York room so you had to kind of change stuff you know so you, were, and you forced re- yourself to adapt you to have to adapt or you won't get booked yeah, yeah. but the yeah. first couple of spots were like what oh my god this usually kills like <laughs> and then I'm like all right I'm in a different place now yeah. and I see other people killing so it's possible to kill yeah I just can't kill talking about target in a place that doesn't have targets that's true you know 
pizza, whatever. So, given that you were in San Francisco, why did you choose New York over LA? Um, I um, I don't know. I, I guess New York seemed more different. Like LA seemed another version. It was another version of California. Yeah. Um, I had gone to school there for a little bit, so I um didn't have great memories of it. And New York was just like. Uh, a Woody Allen movie, a Spike Lee movie, it was Moonstruck, it was all the yeah. movies. I was yeah. like, oh my god, I'm in Brooklyn. What? <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. Um, so, it just seemed more, um, you know, that feeling of like, if, if you're going to take on a city to see if you can live there, New York's like the ultimate city that's impossible to, it's really hard to live there. And, um, and I just wanted to try it. And the comedy was so good. And it felt like if I figured it out, I could work a lot, you know. Yeah. And then, inevitably, when you're in New York and you're doing stand-up, you want to do late-night shows, mm-hmm. and there's writing. There's writing that's in L.A. too, but it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you start feeling like, oh, that's that's the path I need to follow? Or, um, or by then, were people finding you because you've done Fresh Faces, so that gets you, you know, some some attention? Yeah, a little bit. It, 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 um, I ended up trying getting a writing job on Tough Crowd because I was trying to kind of fit in with the group of comics that were part of Tough Crowd because they kind of ran the city. And I thought, oh, this will help me get past at the cellar if I get a job on Tough Crowd. So I was not doing it because I wanted to be a comedy writer. I was like doing it to like hang out with these guys. Um, and then that ended up going, oh, I think I could do this. And uh, so it ended up with, you know, leading to more writing jobs. But yeah. yeah. And, and you are an exceptional writer. I mean, be- between the jokes, the books, the tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Is, is that something that has um, been there from the very beginning? I mean, was writing something you were always strong at, that you knew how to craft things in that balanced... Uh, punchy way um I guess so I mean I uh you always improve right the more you do something and I early in my career like early in the internet like I'd say 96 I started writing a weekly um like blog although that word didn't exist that I just put on my website Uh about my road week that week so I kind of like that and then um uh, and then I like just writing jokes, you know. Um, I didn't really think of anything else, you know. And then when I would look at like monologues, like The Tonight Show or something, I'm like, well, who, you know, I don't care about the people they're talking about. The poli- you know, I just had no interest in politics. Yeah. I was so busy trying to figure out how to talk about my own inner world or even know what my inner world was, mm-hmm. you know, um, that I didn't really have an interest in, like, writing for The Daily Show, for example, you know, at that time. Yeah. Uh, now I have, I have, I have no inner world at all, <laughs> so I lo- I'm totally obsessed with politics. <laughs> There's nothing going on in here. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I guess I, you know, I definitely became a better joke writer when I was r- working for Conan because I had to write so many jokes every day. And yeah. then we would... You know, once the jokes were picked for the monologue, we would start pouring over them and going, is this, do we need this word and this word? So it was a lot of like taking things out or, yeah. or adding something if it was too short, you know. Yeah. Do you have a, a favorite story that you would want to share with us from your, your time uh, on Conan? 
because that's a pretty, I mean, every, people will pan different late night shows, right? They'll say, oh, Jimmy Fallon, whatever. But everybody seems to universally love Conan. Yeah. And yeah. Then, you know, in the stand up world, I've never heard anybody say anything disparaging yeah. about Conan. So. Well, I'll t- tell you his favorite story about me <laughs> is that um, I was walking home because I, I, I live right near this studio, Warner Brothers, and there's an overpass from Warner Brothers to, you know, the other part across over the freeway, right? So I was walking home and this car pulls up. And I was like, what the fuck? It's an overpass. Who oh is God. pulling up? And I just give this incredibly dirty look <laughs> to the car. Like, uh-huh. what the fuck? And the window rolls down in its cone. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I've never seen a meaner look in my life. <laughs> uh, you're so... I, I actually didn't include the, the Conan experience in the introduction. Um, I think it was, a, you wrote for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that time period? I, I don't even remember when the show ended. 2010 to 21. Okay. okay. All right. So you had, you had released your first special, but right before then. Uh, the uh, twenty. It came out in. I shot it in twenty fourteen, but it came out in twenty sixteen. Forty five to myself. Oh, that's it. That was just an album, but that came okay. out in like two thousand nine. Media. I don't. I can't keep track. It doesn't matter. Special. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you have you had that album, and then you're on Conan, and in between there, you're doing all. Of, you're writing books, and you're doing more specials and. Um, well, I wrote a book called Shitty Mom. Um, it, it was like, that was in, came out in 2012, so I wrote it in 2011. Um, and I was hired to write it. The, uh, there's, if you look at the book, there's four authors listed. So the other three women came up with the title, and then they hired me to write the book. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, uh, and it's basically just stand-up-y kind of really short yeah. chapters. Um so yeah, it was a, it was hard. Like I would take my kid to McDonald's and let him do the playland, and I would write and stuff. So I would I did a lot of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I got it done. <laughs> as as a, as a mom who's writing a book, who's on a show that is on late night, how do you how do you balance that? Or are you every once in a while the unicorn? I meet a unicorn who's able to multitask and just get a whole bunch of stuff done and it just it's natural for them. Is that you or do you have you struggled with balancing the different responsibilities you have? Oh yeah, it's always a struggle. I mean I had to, I hired the um I mean, I always called her our babysitter bag because she was like a nanny. Like she was great. Like she would pick my kid up from school and be home, um, you know, make him dinner and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't there. Um, and then, um, at night, sometimes she would stay, uh, and while I did spots at night, I ended up moving my mother down with me to also take care of my son, um, in 2016. So I could still do stand up at night and it wouldn't cost me 50 bucks in babysitting fees and stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just felt like if you're given opportunities, like that's always a, a fleeting, they're fleeting moments, you know? So someone says, do you want to write a book? It's like, yeah, okay, you're paying yeah. me? Okay, I'll write it. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, no no one's offering me that now, so I'm like, I'm glad I took those opportunities <laughs> when they were offered to me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, you, I don't know, you just have to say, 
you know, if you can do it. For me, I, my thing was I'll figure, I can figure out the time later. And if at the worst case scenario, I'd take it away from stand-up. But, you know, like Shitty Mom was that kind of book, it was so close to stand-up that it wasn't, like if you're writing a novel, you gotta go to an island. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you gotta right. shut things out. But it wasn't the kind of comedy writing that needed me to shut things out. So I could do it in little spurts. And I just yeah. wrote it in spurts for several months. Yeah. So it was hard. And I got carpal tunnel from it and stuff. Oh, no. Because I was just, because I was typing all day at work and then at night and stuff. Um, but, you know, it, 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 was, it ended up being worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And somewhere in between, you started podcasting with Jackie, um, who uh-huh. know, was on, on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. How how did you you two meet? We, or do you remember when you met? Because I mean, inevitably between festivals and touring around the country, you would have met inevitably. But yeah, I forget where we met. Um, maybe she remembers. But um, <laughs> yeah, we like I you know I just noticed that the podcast you know podcasts were getting more popular, and it was always men interviewing men, and they never talked to female comics. And also Jackie and I sort of didn't know each other very well because they never, when we were working, they never let female comics be on the same show, right? So if they would book Jackie, they would have to rest and, you know, and not book like another female comic for months, right? A lot of road clubs are like that. They're like, we had one in July. Give us a second to recover. So uh, as a result, I didn't know a lot of my contemporaries, Mm. you know? Uh, Felicia, I didn't meet till later, you know, uh, Kathleen Madigan, like a lot of them, I just, I, we kind of were, worked parallel, but we were never put together. Wow. So, um, so Jackie and I met later in our careers, like maybe after we've both been doing it 20 years, but we have very parallel, she started in um, Wisconsin and Minneapolis, and we have very parallel trajectories, and we're almost exactly the same age, we just never were put on shows together. Um, so we just decided to try a podcast where we would talk about comedy and women and we, not knowing like that it was right around the time when comedy became incredibly popular like maybe because of Louis show it just ever, all of a sudden everyone was interested in stand up which yeah. is weird because I don't know there was a time in the where no one gave a shit about stand-up, you know? Like, you had to drag people to shows. It's this weird renaissance. I'm like, is this going to last? I'm not sure. It might not. Or maybe it just becomes a new American tradition that sticks, you know? Right now it feels temporary in a way, like very TikTok-related and stuff, you know? Uh, Or dependent, social media dependent. And um, But, you know, maybe that will be around forever, too. We'll see. It, yeah. Everything feels like it's falling apart at the same time as it's building up, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I've been covering or I've been watching intensely comedy since 2012, uh, and Austin in particular, of course. And it just seems like it's constantly evolving in some way. You know, yeah. Austin is now the third coast Austin's of comedy. bananas. And, yeah. 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 I mean, there's so many clubs within such a, a what the walking distance. Yeah, so it's like, it's like how music used to be in Austin, exactly. but isn't right? Like, is yeah. music less of a important? Is comedy becoming more important to Austin than music? You're asking a biased person. It sure seems like like yeah. it is because along Sixth now, the Vita Room, Vulcan Gas, Sunset Strip, the Mothership. 
That's four clubs, and I think I'm missing one. Creek and Caves on a little Creek further down. Creek and Cave is just you know one street over. Yeah. So yeah, we've got five clubs. There's a couple of clubs in East Austin. Yeah. And then there's like a, a, a small handful of like black box, small black box theaters. Yeah. So and then Cap City. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so and then you know the Paramount and the State side. So Jesus. it's just yeah. It is kind of crazy. It yeah. does seem to me to be taking over music, but I always walk, walk straight past all the music places along 6th anyway. Yeah, right, right, right. So. Well, like how, like, is there enough of an audience that's going to sustain all these rooms for five years? That is to be told. I mean, right. when I, just as an example, the, the mothership, I follow their Instagram account, their rooms are always packed. And, you know, obviously, Rogan and his style of comedy has a very strong mm-hmm. following. Are they going to stick around for five years? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the Velveeta room has been around forever, and it's still hanging around. Of course, it has Esther's Follies as, as a backer, so yeah, right. You know, it's going to be there. So, I don't know. I hope so. Yeah, hope it'd so. be incredible. Yeah. yeah. L.A. has a ton of, of venues, and New York certainly does. So, yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, the part of the West Village that has. All, all the comedy seller and the uh, the comedy seller and the satellites, and then there's offshoots that aren't seller related that just grab audience uh, members that can't get into the seller. Uh, you know, and there's like th- three or four of those, and they're always packed. It's yeah. just like, oh, if you want to go to comedy in New York City, for a lot of people, they just go to that corner, that yeah. that little tiny uh, area in the West Village. Yeah, I yeah. Think, I think that's here. Now. Weird. Yeah. So, what kind of things are keeping you busy today? I mean, you did last comic standing. That's 2007. Oh, that was a long time ago, yeah. No, that was like that was 2000. Six years ago. No, it's 2009. Why? What? My paper says 2017, Lori. Okay, never no, mind. Just Let me. <laughs> Google knows better. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So that was a long time ago. So yeah, yeah what do you? What's what's keeping you busy? Just doing road work and trying to get another writing job. Yeah. Yeah. That's brutal, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a writer strike's about to happen. Oh, right. So e- even people that want to hire are just like waiting it out. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, it's not a good time. <laughs> so what do you do? What, I mean, realistically, what do you do? I mean, is that the kind of thing, we're going to, we'll talk business, I guess. Is that the kind of thing where you're able to kind of survive on the past successes that you've had to kind of sustain you to ride the wave? No. Until no. Mm-hmm. So you've got to just you've got, got to hit the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll tell you that when I have to hit the road for work, we're doing this festival for you know four days out of the year. Yeah. I hate missing time with my son. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I agree. How do you deal with it? It's hard. I don't have a choice. You know, um, I can't not have money coming yeah. in every month because I have a kid. So, it, you know. You could do TikTok videos, but you do TikTok, don't you? I post clips on TikTok, but yeah. that doesn't pay anything. Yeah. And in fact, it takes up hours of time that you should be spending on writing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which might pay something. But yeah, no, things don't pay anything anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's what's really scary, you know, where comics are expected to do so much stuff for free and writers as well. Yeah. 
and like where you know we're gonna run out of money <laughs> I had some <laughs> saved up but I didn't expect to blow through my savings you know like I'm a single mother so I need that <laughs> you know okay well I want to be sad with you because I hate that that yeah you know you're because I, th- I think men have it easier in that regard that they don't feel the weight of the single parent and the I've got to feed my kid I'm the only provider for my kid I don't know I think it's case by case I mean you know there's the weight of having to feed a kid and a wife who's at home with the kid which is nice it's good for the kid but that's that's an extra weight as well so I don't know I think you know I just talking to Brad Williams and the first thing we talk about is you know not being with our kids and stuff you know so I think yeah they're those those male comics are human too (laughs) um but yeah I mean if you're a single parent whether you're you know Ron Funches is a single dad so uh, and he's got two kids so it's it's uh it's always pressure if you're the only income and the income is all of a sudden very unstable you know have you ever gotten much into the acting realm um, I, I act when people ask me to do it, but I don't, um, I don't like auditioning and, um, it's not my, it's not my number one thing. Yeah. I know this, this kind of comes through with, with the podcast with Jackie and I, and I very rarely ask this, but what, what kind of advice would you give to new comics? Well, that's a, such a big question. Yeah. Like, just from your experience and the things that we've talked about today that, you know, maybe they weigh on you more or less than other things, is there something that you would say, you know, I dealt with this situation in this way, so here's some advice I'll I don't know. It's so, um, I mean, to be, I don't know, do you want to be a comedian? That's what I would ask. Because if you want to be a stand-up comedian, you have to get on stage a lot. Yeah a lot to become comfortable on stage so you can own a crowd that's a skill it's different from getting posting funny stuff on tiktok which is also a skill that's really hard to do um and they don't translate they don't you know so uh i guess it being if you want to be a comedian you have to get up on stage a lot and it's hard and it doesn't pay anything. Uh, you might have a very successful career being a funny person, but you're not. But that's different from being a stand-up comic, you know. You just recorded a new special, mm-hmm. and when do you expect that's going to come out? I don't know. I guess in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. How would you describe the new special compared to your your previous ones? Well, you know, it's it's just. Uh, the last hour of material I wrote, you know, so it's kind of just reflects me right now uh, in this life. Like I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, writing a play or a show with a theme. You know, I, I'm a club comic, so when I write comedy, it's to work. It has to work in a club of people who don't know who I am and who are being interrupted by the server. <laughs> you know, so I'm not like creating theater. It's yeah. so it's you know, 
it's it, it's the latest hour of that stuff that worked. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what it is. And you were exhausted afterwards, right? Yeah. I heard that on, on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and because you, you, you know, it's representing of, of your... Uh, last hour that you've written are you starting is your brain releasing the the new content yeah but I can't do it this week (laughs) 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 because every set is like six minutes long and there's no room for fucking around so I'm like I'm just doing stuff I just did on a special I'm like all right whatever (laughs) um but yeah I'm looking forward to like just doing dumb shows and fucking around (laughs) and coming up with other material yeah uh, have you done Moon Tower before? Have I what? Have you been to Moon Tower? Once, yeah. Just yeah. once? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How long ago? I don't know. Let's see. It was the the, the the Don Sterling thing about the L.A. Clippers had just broken. Because I remember we were all talking about it. Myself okay. and some other comics, Canal Bell, were talking about it. Where he, he have, had a... A girlfriend who recorded him saying like all this racist stuff, and he's he owns a basketball team, and he ended up having to sell it, oh. and he was married. It was it was like oh, a it was like a okay. drama mess for a couple months. Wow. Um, but yeah, that happened. So whatever year that happened is yeah. the last time I was at Moon Tower. <laughs> like fact checking again. <laughs> Her name was like Viv or Vivian or something like that. <laughs> I was thinking, um, I know this is meandering conversation, but I, I, I knew that there was other random things that we had in common. Uh, you mentioned that you had your mom living with you uh, for a period to help. Four years. Her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I live with my mom. Okay. And my teenage son. So. Does she live with you or you live with yeah. them? Uh, we, she and I bought a house together. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're coming in as equals. Interesting. Yeah, but yeah. I'm still, at this point, it's a caretaker situation. Yeah. Or it's getting, it's closer to a caretaker. She's, you know, she's still functional, mobile, you know, times like this, it is nice to have her there, you know, so my son's not going to an empty house. Right, right, right. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's where I was for a while, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I... Uh, you know, I had a very small house. We had one bathroom for three of us. And, um, yeah, it was, I had no, I just kept bumping into her. <laughs> there was no place for any of us to go. And um, she, uh, you know, she moved in with me in Burbank when she was, I guess, 78. And it was... I'm not sure if it was a... I guess it was a right thing. Her best friend said it was a right thing. But to have a 78-year-old leave the city they've known for 50 years and move to a new one, they cannot learn the streets. So she wouldn't... She stopped driving very quickly because she would get lost. And she couldn't figure anything out. And so then she started becoming a recluse in the apart in the house. This is, this, this is my story. Yeah. yeah. And just watching a ton of TV... And listening to right-wing radio and stuff. So it was hard. It was hard. I I expected her to kind of be um, more mobile and not just be always home. Like, just nonstop. There was never a time where I walked in where she wasn't just right there watching TV. So Yeah, my mom, she she lived about three and a half hours away. She had lived in our house 
40 plus years. Right. And I mean, it, she was definitely getting to a point where driving wasn't safe anyway. Like my mm-hmm. son would say, when I was out of town and, and my mom was still driving him, you know, from the swim uh, swimming pool after practice, he would tell me. I do not feel safe oh, with her boy. driving, and I'm like, okay, well, we're gonna put a stop to that. And, uh, and now she you know, completely doesn't drive, and you know, that's fine. But so yeah, you have I, to get everything. Like my mom was um, was on um, methadone because she was in so much pain, and it's oh. super regulated. And getting methadone every month for my mom was such a fucking pain in the ass wow. and a nightmare. And she would go to different pharmacies. Um, sometimes it would have in stock. Like sometimes I'd have to go to Costco, and that now I'm like I've worked all day. I have a set tonight. Now I got to go to Costco, which is a nightmare. And I would just be so. And then they wouldn't have it. It was, you know, that kind of stuff um, was like, oh my god, this is awful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing too that I would imagine. You're an established comic, and you're 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 having these life experiences that very few other people, if any, that are in the room with you uh, performing can relate to. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do you how do you manage that, that you're not connected to, you know, the other comics' life experiences? Because there's no way they can understand the millions of things that you're juggling as a human being. I've never been connected to their life experiences. Mm. <laughs> Very, again, I mostly worked with guys and they just, yeah. they're on the road getting laid and yeah. it's just a different life, yeah. you know. So, so you, you just accept that that's, that, that difference exists and I'm just going to do what Yeah, I'm I mean, do. for a long time I was the woman, right? Mm. And then um, now I'm like the old person because there's tons of women, but there's not a ton of old comics. Yeah. So it's I'm always like some on some little off branch, yeah. you know, not the main trunk. Yeah. Well, um, are you familiar with Leanne Morgan? Yeah. I mean, I yeah I know we're just we love her so much and we were so giddy with excitement to see her Netflix on Netflix. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, breath of fresh air. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not all the guy comic specials coming out. It's, yeah. You know a real genuine woman older woman who's freely talking about her big panties yeah and her menopause right 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 it's so nice you know and and people should recognize that not everybody is a white male comic yeah not everyone's a cute little 20 year old female comic Mm -hmm. you know talking about dating Mm -hmm. and, and find value in that yeah, I mean, it's all everyone's life experience. If they can, they can write it funny. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I love it when I have nothing in common with a comic and they have really funny stories. Yeah. I'm like, I had no idea. That sounds hilarious. Yeah. Tell me more about your your mother from Ethiopia or something. Like that's <laughs> insane. I don't know what that is. And yeah. So I love it. So um, yeah, I wish I wish the gatekeepers. I was just talking to somebody about this, but the gatekeepers are just so behind on what what's happening in stand-up right now it's like that's why so many people are just going fuck it and putting their own stuff out on youtube right like you can't i can't sit on this material for two years because you're backlogged like it won't be relevant in two years you know yeah 
Well, and it's by being out there, there's a chance that more people will connect with it too. Yeah, they may not have known you. That you know, their their only source is, is the Netflix. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, oh, this is what comedy's like. They think they know what comedy. Yeah, they like think just it's because it's like negative or something like that. It's yeah, like no, there's so many comics that you don't know of that you would love and you would love to go see them live. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, can we talk about your Twitter feed? Oh, sure, and sure, sure. The tweets uh, that that I know you most for, of course, are when your mom was in the hospital, and that was uh, quite difficult to read because I I wasn't following you directly, mm-hmm. but you were like everybody was sharing your experience, and so then I started following you know the the, the story, and uh, I'm sure you've been asked this. A million times, but did you did you think that you were just writing a diary because you you were at a loss for what else to do in this like helpless moment, or did you think you know this is a platform that I could use to raise awareness about what people not being able to be with their their loved ones? Um, I was kind of you know just writing jokes because I always write jokes, but also I I, I realized that um, this is a a, st- a very strange experience that I, I, up until she went into the hospital, I was just reading about myself and going, wow, that sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then going, oh, fuck, I'm, now it's happening to me. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't know what it was like, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I guess I was trying to, I, I think it was at the time where no one, no one knew anyone that, very few people knew someone that had died of COVID. Yeah. It felt like a, a, you know, it was happening to cruise ships, and why am I, am I quarantining in Iowa if I'm, there's, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and uh, so, uh, I was the person that could, uh, you know, give you a bird's eye view yeah. now of what it's like to be on this end of it, yeah. of, uh, you know, watching someone die over the iPad, you know? So, yeah. I think that's probably why it got a, got a lot of traction, was like no one had really, you, you were reading the story after the person died, you know, and it was written by somebody else, and to have someone talking about it during, while that was happening, was yeah. kind of unique, I think. Yeah. Um, did you, did, is there a moment that stands out in your mind of somebody who reached out to you saying, thank you for putting into words the experience that I had that moved you more than than anybody else um hmm. i got some dms from like famous people that were Uh, kind of like whoa all right (laughs) (laughs) but um uh, i don't know i think i got retweeted by dan rather which kind of was like wow nuts but um i don't know i guess there's more just people who's who had had or will have had someone die of COVID yeah. would, that have come up to me, like at shows and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Have you had any other experiences like that where you would live tweet, essentially live tweet, not necessarily a tragedy, but live tweet something? Oh, uh, yeah, my dad. I did yeah. that with my dad, yeah. And then, you know, but I was, I've, I've already said like Twitter is live Twitter. Like you're, everyone's yeah. at, in line at Starbucks or everyone's, <laughs> you know, or you're just watching someone, you know, breathe on an iPad. Like, yeah. it's just what you're live tweeting. It's not, you know, live tweeting. Yeah. 
Do you still like Twitter? Because I've I'm I've given up on Twitter. I do, but it's <laughs> you know I see where it's going. Yeah, it's not good. It's just yeah. turning really fascist. Yeah. So it's a little scary. Yeah. I don't know if anything can replace it. It's such a it was such a great thing for joke writers, you know, for comics. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So we need a we need a, a new platform for Lori to be able to <laughs> But no more tragedies, please. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that uh, I haven't? I mean, you've got such a, a an amazing background. Is there anything else that you'd want to talk about? Oh no, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I'm hungry. Right, then. Fine, I was I'll in be. a park for two hours. I'm like, oh, oh so you're I think I'm like... losing steam. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> By the way, fact checking. It was 2014. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Those the early years of, of Moon Tower, yeah. when it was baby Moon Tower still. Yeah. Yeah, ground floor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I think my first Moon Tower to, to come watch was a couple of years later. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not gonna keep you against your will. Okay. We know you're, we know you're <laughs> no, special. I, my will is here. <laughs> we know your, your special is going to hopefully come out this year. It's called Cis Woke Grief Slut. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Thank you. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got the, the Jackie and Lori show, mm-hmm. um, which is a weekly podcast. Mm-hmm. I think... In the last couple of weeks, I can't remember if it was you or Jackie, but you brought up Jasmine Ellis. One of you brought oh, up yeah, Jasmine, Jasmine Ellis. Oh, yeah, Jasmine, yeah. And she's a uh, former Austin comic. Oh, I yeah, yeah, her, yeah. She's so great. Like, yeah, yeah. Jasmine. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were both just very disappointed with the Love is Blind a re- live reunion show. She was at my house yeah. and we were waiting oh. for it to load. <laughs> Did you... Um, she and her former podcast partner uh, did a, a live, uh, a live thing, a live Instagram, like maybe three or four episodes in. Yeah. And her her podcast partner's name is Kai. Kai's partner was googling the marriage certificate status of all of the couples, and he dropped like big bombshell because he found you know there's the license application and then the certificate and that night so three or four episodes in uh, we found out on their Instagram live that Bliss and Zach got married because that was the episode where he was still with I think they were still in Mexico Irina yeah yeah the nightmare arena interesting yeah all right cool yeah I, I Bench that show, and you, I can't get. Yeah, she won't. Yeah, well, I I understand. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) Betrayed. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we've had so many random tangents here. It does seem like they they torture the contestants too. Insider did a story about how they're they're like kept awake twenty hours in a row. They, there's no water. There's only booze to drink. So that of course they're gonna be complete assholes. That's why Tiffany (laughs) fell asleep. Oh, it's like, that, that makes, makes total sense, sense now. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gold Cups. The Gold Cups is so obnoxious. Yeah. yeah. It's even worse than it was. Like, at first it wasn't obtrusive, but now it's just like, really? Out in random public you're doing? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We could go on a 
I could rant <laughs> for a long time about that. But Brett and Tiffany, oh my God. Love it. All right. So I have a closing question. One word to describe your future. Boring. <laughs> that Save is the past, honey. <laughs> that is a wrap on Comedy Ram <laughs> presents Lori Kilmartin. Tell us where we can find you on social media. Um, and if you want to promote the projects again. Yeah, any Lori16 on Twitter and Instagram, and then I'm on TikTok, and uh, you can just look me up. You can find me, you know, yeah. Facebook, whatever. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed learning about how Lori got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wayne Presents. Lori Kilmartin. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Valerie.